Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking Brexit to Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Barry Halloran will join me to talk about plans for an offshore wind farm off the coast of Dublin. And Willie Walsh's plans to reduce the carbon footprint of airline group IAG. But first, Laura Slattery joins me in the studio to run through some of the major business stories of the week. Laura, you're very welcome. We're going to start with Facebook and its new cryptocurrency Libra. That's right. It's uh, been a rocky old time for Libra. Yeah. Um, this is the cryptocurrency that uh, Facebook uh, plans to sort of take over the world with, uh, or certainly the global... So it's version of Bitcoin? Yeah, or... the global financial system, it wants to sort of basically, uh, it sees uh, an opportunity there. But um, several of the payment companies that had originally put their name to this project when it was um, announced a few months ago have now backed out and they include Visa, MasterCard and, of course, the Collison's brother, uh, brother's uh, company Stripe. And Booking.com. Uh, yeah, well. Booking.com and, and PayPal. But, yeah, most of the, uh, the seven that have pulled out now, most of them are actually the payments companies. Um, which some people say that's because they potentially maybe see this as a competitor, really. Uh, uh, but it's it's a massive blow to the project because they are obviously also what has given it its credibility to mm. date. Yeah, I mean, just explain to us why Facebook wants to get into cryptocurrency in the first place. I think they see it as a way of making more money. I mean, uh, ultimately, that's the, that's the case. And they, they say they see they have links with uh, small businesses, uh, consumers and advertisers through Facebook. Now, Fa- uh, Libra had been set up as a sort of a separate not, not-for-profit uh, through a thing called the Libra Association because, again, for credibility reasons, people are sort of nervous about Facebook uh, being in control of their money. So this was all going to run through a separate sort of uh, venture and it, it they say it still will do. You know, they say they still have something like 21 partners on board and that, that there's, a, you know, over 180 other companies that can line up and um, replace the ones that have uh, left. But at the moment, they only have one actual online payments company still in, in the basket of uh, partners and that's a Dutch company called PayU. And they say they're still, you know, they think that Libra is one of these things that can, can meet societal needs, as they put it, which I always feel a bit, 
nervous about when financial uh, companies start talking about that, that way. So is this um, going to be uh, regulated by the likes of the central bank or the European Central Bank or the Bank well, of England? they say they won't go ahead without the sort of US uh, and EU uh, regulatory approval. So through the financial system, I'm assuming. Um, but this is a hugely controversial issue. I mean, this is why, in fact, the, the, the payments uh, companies at Baby, apart from having a sort of a competitive uh, uh, interest uh, have backed away because uh, various politicians have uh, and governments essentially have issued sharp warnings saying all of this is going to be uh, subjected to incredible scrutiny um, because they see all cryptocurrencies as a kind of uh, backdoor for money laundering and mm. terrorism financing. And I think a lot of the payments companies just thought like this scrutiny and this hassle isn't going to be worth it. And also they maybe felt um, that they hadn't, you know, you know, they were putting their names to this thing, but they they didn't really exactly maybe uh, have control over it the way that um, Facebook does. And Facebook is sort of seen as a little bit of a toxic brand at the moment. So they obviously they've got cold feet right now, but that doesn't mean, you know, as I said, Facebook and, and Libra itself, um, they say it's still going ahead, maybe even next year, if they can get the approvals. If they can get approvals. Okay, would you trust Facebook with your currency? Uh, I'd prefer not to trust Facebook with uh, with anything, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Uh, budget 2020 was last uh, week and um, today we had the finance bill published. This gives effect to budget measures and uh, generally, you know, a couple of other things slip in and food supplements uh, was one of those things that appeared in the finance bill. It's going to be, they're going to be subjected to a 13.5% rate of tax. Uh, to the dismay of the industry, it's going to take effect from January. This had originally been earmarked for last March. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it wasn't mentioned in last week's budget, but it had been mentioned before. Mm. Um, the uh, revenue had signalled it was reviewing the VAT treatment on uh, all these supplements uh, almost a year ago. And as, as you said, it was originally going to come in, in in March, but they postponed it. They needed to give further guidance to what was going to be subjected to the rate and, and what was going to remain uh, zero rated. Um, now they are saying this is going to come in from next year and the uh, effectively, you know, it applies to some food supplements but not others and there's a sort of, there's an exemption for anything that's aimed at any, at any kind of specific vulnerable group you know, that includes uh, folic acid baby milk formula, anything vitamins and minerals that are class as medicines, certainly anything that has it's a licensed medicine is, is not going to be, you know, part of this um, and so what it does affect, though, is uh, some sports nutrition products that might be popular with some people, some sort of things that are, you know, allegedly are, are, are aids for slimming, uh, some kind of certain ointments that are made out of food products that currently kind of have a kind of a food related zero exemption um, aren't going to have one from now on. So there's a there's a huge industry all around this stuff. Uh, the Irish Health Trade Association is uh, represents them and they're they're very upset. They How say, big is the market here? Um, it's about 60 million, I believe. Or certainly that was the uh, size of it a couple of years ago when they last did the um, sort of mat, the mats on that. So, uh, you know, it's built up over the years and a lot of the time, you know, it's sort of, there's a lot of, you know, this is <laughs> comes up in all the advertising rulings uh, from, from uh, every time they bring one out. There's a lot of claims made about, um, you know, the benefits to health. But, you know, as, as a, in, in effect, you know, anything that has a proven uh, medicinal effect is a medicine and isn't really part of this. So if if it's subjected to VAT, 
um, yeah, it may not be entirely, you know, proven, but that doesn't say that they're not very popular. They, they you know, with with a lot, a lot of people, and a lot of people, you know, will see the price go up at a time when you know if Brexit uh, doesn't uh, deliver the way <laughs> uh, in a smooth fashion. The, 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 they may be subject to tariffs anyway. These yeah. products because of they're coming in from the UK or elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Um, well, so um, it's a, it's a, you know, if, if you've got a favourite product, uh, yeah, you could see a price a price rise from the new year. Okay, well, in terms of the overall budget, it sounds like small beer, but nonetheless, uh, uh, worth looking at, I guess, for the government. Um, now, let's talk retail trends and UK department chain John Lewis has released its annual retail trends report. You've been looking at this. What's uh, what's hot and what's not? Yeah, we're looking at this because it's just a little bit of fun, really. And uh, we encourage all Irish department stores to bring out a similar list. Mm. So hot, uh, hot products at uh, John Lewis at the moment. Well, there's a strong, uh, there's a strong sort of television tre- trend. It seems we're, we're highly uh, influenced by what we see on screen. And they are saying there's been a sort of double-digit rise in sale of flat caps this autumn, which coincided with the airing of Peaky Blinders on BBC One, starring uh, Ireland's own uh, Gillian Murphy as a kind of charismatic mm. uh, 1920s uh, oh. uh, gang, gangster, uh, likes a flat cap. And and the other one was a, a sort of a black jumpsuit, um, which looked great on uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge of uh, Fleabag uh, fame, but... Uh, um, I'm, I'm not really keen on them myself, but uh, they they do look great on the taller woman, shall we say? But um, uh, so another other thing then as well is um, Lego sales for adults. And again, there was a TV oh, theme I did here. Like Lego when I was younger. Yes, but now there uh, you can carry on liking Lego Kieran because um, the, you can recreate the Central Perk set from Friends through the medium of Lego. Um, that wasn't what I was building when I was a kid now. No. What about a Vestas wind turbine? Because that's another set you yeah. can get now from Lego. Not aimed at kids, but aimed at the sort of the 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 adult man or woman who maybe wants to take uh, his or her mind off the news uh, <laughs> can uh, spend several hours um, recreating uh, sort of very complex uh, mechanical um things and uh, hopefully endeavour not to stand on the little bricks afterwards which is usually the key risk there but yeah no John Lewis is um, it's uh, also you know talking about a huge surge in environmental goods Um, you could say uh, anything reusable is uh, in fashion Um, I think probably everybody has a reusable coffee cup yeah uh, and water bottle by now so don't send them to us um, and um, also these kind of beeswax uh, food wraps that are good for, for lunches. Um, that's the sort of next level uh, to take plastic out of the equation there. And um, yeah, it's that's really it, I suppose. Uh, it's, uh, oh yeah, the Marie Kondo effect. That's another, Again, that that's a show on Netflix. But um, Oh, I did try to watch it one time. Yeah, no, it's just... not for me, but it's about decluttering. But, uh, I storage got 10 boxes. minutes into it, I had to turn it off. Yeah. Well, storage boxes are, I mean, I think they've always been popular storage boxes, but Marie Kondo is now getting the credit for, um, but I think she wants, I, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, she wants you to throw stuff out. But I think what's actually happening is people are just getting a box and throwing it in the box. So um, that's a very modern solution to a, maybe an, an age old problem. Sure how environmentally friendly it is now to throw things out. Uh, shouldn't we all be reusing, recycle, re-whatever? Upcycling. Upcycling, yeah, absolutely. So maybe uh, maybe people are right to put it in a box. Anyway, as you say, it'd be good. It'd be a lot of fun now if Arnott's or Brown Thomas or Pennies or one of those uh, Irish department store chains were to uh, give us a similar rundown of what's hot and what's not in the Irish uh, retail sector. Laura, thank you for joining us. Thanks.
Now it's time to talk Brexit, but do not adjust your transistor sets, uh, listeners, because I'm joined in studio by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, who's going to give us a definitive <laughs> view on what's going on with the Brexit negotiations. Uh, now we know that the government uh, last night was hopeful that a draft Brexit deal could be presented to a crucial summit of European leaders uh, tomorrow, paving the way for the UK to leave the European Union by the end of the month. Uh, Cliff, it seems as if these Brexit negotiations have been going on forever. In fact, it's three and a half years mm, since half. we had the <laughs> referendum. Uh, it's probably the last two years that uh, intensive negotiations have been underway and there's been a lot of stop start and uh, false promises and, and all of that but finally it looks as if we might be on the cusp of a deal what do you know about it? We might yeah and you know in, in the interesting thing I guess is over the three years they've been going round and around and around in the same circle try, trying to as uh, Angela Merkel the German Chancellor said trying to square the circle and of course the difficulty is circles can't be square but what we know is there's been a lot of progress made, uh, particularly in the last 48, 72 hours. It appears that Boris Johnson moved once and, and, and he's moved again. In terms uh, of what? In terms of um, accepting the customs arrangement, the kind of customs arrangement that the EU would be comfortable with. Uh, what we don't know is the precise detail of that. Uh, it seems he's been moving back in the direction of the original Northern Ireland backstop, which was the first plan put forward as the as as the fail-safe mechanism. So the rest like. of the UK, mainland Britain effectively leaves the customs union, but Northern Ireland remains? Well, that was the original Northern Ireland backstop plan, but it does appear that there's a, a twist or a fudge in the middle uh, that the Northern Ireland may remain nominally part of the UK customs uh, regime, but that there may be special arrangements put in place to, to allow cross-border trade. Uh, in other words, some kind of border in the Irish Sea some kind of checks in the Irish Sea. The problem has been that that is really complicated making that happen because you're trying to differentiate between, if, if goods are crossing the Irish Sea, you have to find some way to differentiate between those that are going to stay in Northern Ireland and those that are going to move into the Republic and potentially on then on, into, yeah. into continental Europe. So technically, from the point of view of customs, from the point of view of tariffs, from the point of view of VAT, it's just it's just complicated. And that's been part of the problem. It seems a lot of progress has been made on that and progress also made on the issue of consent. In other words, how Stormont uh, in the north, hopefully uh, back up and running again, would, would vote on, on these um, new arrangements coming into place. But I've got to say that the detail of this is still fudgy, hasn't been published yet. And we've had a lot of mood swings, even during today, if you like. Um, it, it does seem that there is a lot of progress made. I think one of the issues now is we could be running into time problems. As I said, this is very complicated. Just explain the timetable to us from here, if you like. Yeah, so the um, as things now stand, uh, Michel Barnier is due to meet the EU ambassadors later this evening to brief them on what's going on. Uh, if anything's going to be put to the summit, it really would have to be done and dusted by then. A lot of European experts are, are, are saying that already it's too late to have a formal deal fully signed off by the EU leaders. It might be possible to have a political discussion on an outline deal, for example. Uh, we just have to see how that one plays out. We've seen before how the EU can adjust itself at the last moment to try and get something through. I think a lot would come down if a deal were done to how content France and Germany, the big countries are, with the arrangements made, how content that they are that this protects the EU single market. Just hard to call. But it, it goes to the EU summit. It possibly goes to another EU summit if, 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 if it can't be formally signed off. And the EU summit is later this week. The EU summit is on Thursday, tomorrow. 
as we talk now on Friday. So Thursday evening, Friday morning is, is the scheduled time for the EU summit. As things now stand, the House of Commons is scheduled to sit on Saturday and Boris Johnson had hoped that it would vote through a deal at that sitting. Uh, again, remains to be seen whether that goes ahead or whether anything is, is formally ready and signed off by the EU for the House of Commons to vote on. All kinds of talk of whether some kind of indicative vote might be taken or whatever, but that's really just speculation at this stage. Either way, if it's if so, if it's done at that stage, it's done. Um, otherwise, the likelihood is some extra time would be given, um, and, and a second EU summit would be held in, held another ten days to to formally sign off on the deal. All all kind of messy and and complicated by the fact that Boris Johnson is constrained by the Ben Act which is the act uh, passed by the UK Parliament a couple of months ago, which obliges him, if there isn't a deal with the EU by Saturday, to ask for an extension. So he's going to have to try and find some way around that if he's not to formally ask for an extension. You know, so does he send a letter? It's quite Se- prescriptive. The Ben Act is, it is quite, absolutely. I mean, it really lays out the letter it does. that he has to send to Jean-Claude Juncker. It does, it does. So various speculation of how that might be dealt with. Is there some way around that? Is there some way that he could write a letter saying, I want to ask for an extension, but on the basis that no deal is done by the end of the month or whatever. Okay. Let's presume a deal is is agreed yeah. um, by the end of this week, right? Sure, or um, even the end of the month, because that's, I guess, the... Yeah, sure. The, uh, Boris has to get it through Parliament. We know he has a minority yeah. government. We know that, was it, 21 uh, Conservative MPs were expelled from the uh, Parliamentary Party as yeah. a result of uh, voting uh, against them there recently. Um, the DUP, I don't know, may or may not be on side uh, with this. Just talk of some... Labour rebels, if you like, voting for this deal because they feel that Brexit needs to be done, that democracy needs to be delivered and they're in leave constituencies and all that. But in the background, you've got a general election uh, coming up and Mm. are Labour MPs really going to vote to benefit Boris uh, going into a general election? Because if he delivers Brexit, he's delivered on his promise. It's a very strong hand to play in a general election and Labour are in uh, some disarray, I think it must be said. Jeremy Corbyn and a lot of his uh, front bench colleagues aren't exactly... Uh, in tune in terms of where they stand on on, sure. on Brexit. So what are the chances of Boris getting this through Parliament? It's a tricky one. Um, I think what's been interesting to watch is that he's he's trying to, to pre-cook that to the extent that he can. So unlike Theresa May, when she was doing her deal with Europe, she, she did the deal and then, and then came back and tried to sell it. Uh, Boris Johnson's administration is trying to sell it as it goes along. So there's been ongoing consultations with the hard Brexit lobby, there's been ongoing consultations with the DUP. Now, obviously, what we don't know is what the, what the bottom lines of those various groups are. But the difficulty for Boris Johnson is keeping doing a deal with the EU on one side, which is pulling him in one direction, and trying to keep the ERG and the DUP happy on the other side, which is pulling him in the opposite direction. And what we still don't know, is there a middle ground there? But But you're right, the numbers are difficult. A lot of the ERG people say they will be led by the DUP or they wouldn't be happy to support a deal the DUP didn't support. Um, there are Labour, there is talk of some Labour rebels voting for uh, Boris Johnson, but also talk that the Labour Party are likely to take a very hard line on those. What are the people who Boris Johnson sacked? What are they going to do? It's, it's you know, it could be yet another dramatic vote in the House of Parliament hanging on two or three people voting one, one direction or the, or the, or the other. All right, but so Boris Johnson is trying to he is trying to pre-cook that he is trying to because he knows that to get EU support the EU are going to want to be pretty sure that this is going to get through the House of Commons yeah okay again let's presume that there is a deal and let's presume Boris does get it through mm. 
um, Parliament. What does it mean for the Irish economy and how has it changed the arithmetic, if you like, of last week's budget, which was a, a let's proof against a no-deal Brexit? Yeah. You, you could see, I think, a bit of a bounce in the Irish economy in terms of a relief bounce because it's been pretty clear in the last few months that consumer spending has been hit by fears about Brexit. House prices have been hit by fears about Brexit. Probably business investment has been hit as well. There are other things slowing the economy as well. Capacity constraints, slowdowns in Europe, all that. But yeah, there's, there's three or four things you, you could see that would likely bounce back. It also will improve the budget outlook because the budget was done on the basis of a no-deal Brexit. And if a no-deal Brexit is avoided, then growth next year is going to be stronger and tax revenues are going to be stronger. So the budget numbers are going to be, are, are, are going to be, uh, are, are going to be all the better. Um, if there's a general election in the meantime, in, in November, as some people are gossiping about if there's a Brexit. Yes, now done. this is a general election in Ireland. There could Absolutely. be a snap election. Yeah. Uh, late October, early November? Uh, more likely November, I think. Um, all the gossip in Leinster House, just talking to our political people up there today is... It's around this now if a deal is done. Leo Varadkar and Pascal Donoghue today repeated that they would prefer to wait till next year. Is this strategic kind of delay that might be overruled? They've had a bit of a bounce in the polls that we've been publishing over the last few days. They have, they have. And, you know, going to the electorate on the basis of a relief that a no-deal Brexit has been avoided, you know, depending on the terms of the deal. Yeah. OK, it wasn't a particularly generous budget, but you would probably be able to, uh, you know, say that the next budget is going to be a more generous one because uh, we saw Pascal Dunhoe out today, for example, talking about the prospect of tax cuts in the next budget. So, you know, there would be some goodies to hold out. So it wouldn't be the worst basis on which to go to the electorate. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the meantime. Governments never like to go during the winter because it's a bad time. Everyone's grumpy. It's it's dark. There are, there are queues in hospitals because people more people get sick in the, in the, in the, in the winter. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What would it mean for markets? How do you see the markets reacting to a, a deal on Brexit? Sterling goes up, I think, um, certainly certainly initially in terms of a relief rally. We've already seen the Irish banks and some of the Irish shares go up again. A relief rally, I think that, that continues. You know, hard to know how much of that is priced in. I think, however, that uh, after the initial, the initial relief, there, there might be kind of a taking of stock because, and we've seen some of this in the British media in, in the last few days, the kind of Brexit that Boris Johnson is planning uh, is still a hard Brexit. Okay, there would be a great benefit to Ireland to avoid a no-deal Brexit and all the chaos and uncertainty it would bring. But that would then put the UK into what's called the transition period when not much changes. But we kind of forget the time is starting to run out on the transition period now. And as things now stand, it's due to end at the end of December of next year, December 2020. So that's only, whatever, 14, 15 months away. And we could be facing another deadline then as the EU and the UK trying to negotiate a trade deal. Very unlikely to be done in that timescale. Is it likely that we will be facing tariffs uh, heading into 2021 on some of our big industries heading into the UK? All of those things will still be in the back of people's minds. So a no deal would certainly lead to a lot of relief in the Irish economy. I think it would lead to, lead to, lead to a bounce, but the uncertainty remains in terms of the future trading relationship with our with one of our mm, one of our biggest partners, take years to knock out a trade deal. Absolutely, yeah. Now the, there is scope in the uh, withdrawal agreement, the draft withdrawal agreements, to extend the transition period for another two years, another uh, year or two years. Boris Johnson has said he doesn't believe that should happen. We've seen how he goes back on a lot of his what he says. So you know, 
who knows where we'll be. Uh, but I think it's it is worth flagging that the kind of Brexit that he's that he's talking about, he's talking about diverging from the EU. When Theresa May was still there, it was uncertain. She was trying to ride two horses in terms of what kind of Brexit she wanted. Boris Johnson is clear. He says, I want to diverge. I want to leave the EU. I want a deal similar to the one that the EU did with Canada or maybe slightly less. I may want to change some regulations and some of the standards in the UK away from EU rules to allow me to do new deals with the US and all that. Now, the economic wisdom of that is hugely questionable. UK experts say that, that was going to cost the UK a lot of money in terms of economic growth in future. Um, so maybe, it, maybe it'll never happen. Who knows? But if it does bad for the UK and also bad for Ireland in terms of future trading relationships because if the rest of the EU looks at the UK and sees it diverging and sees it introducing new standards it's not going to offer it a generous trade deal because Angela Merkel in particular has been talking about this repeatedly the UK is a big competitor a big competitor is going to be outside the uh, EU and the EU aren't going to want to offer it a sweet deal to sell it to you, Marcus, or at the same time cutting taxes, yeah. cutting wages, cutting yeah, corporate taxes. thinking from Boris because there's no guarantee that he's going to get a sweet deal from the United States Absolutely. or India or China or Absolutely. any of the big, uh, yeah. you know, the big countries outside of the yeah, EU. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, even if you don't, I, I I think you're right, and I think they those countries, particularly the bigger ones, will will see the advantage that they have in these negotiations. But standard economic theory is that the most valuable trading partner is the one that's closest to you. And the most valuable trading partner for the UK is, is the EU because it's the closest one and it's, and it's big and it's its biggest market. So whatever Boris Johnson negotiates with the US or India or whatever could be valuable in the long term, maybe, uh, but they're not going to make up for the losses that, he's, uh, that the UK economy is going to suffer if he doesn't have a decent free trade agreement and tariff-free access to the, uh, to the EU market. And sooner or later... Whoever is in power in town Downing Street is going to have to make that call. Do they want to keep standards roughly as they are uh, and sell into the EU market and, and give up the prospect of this nonsense about doing trade deals around the world or, or do they want to continue it? All right, it sounds as uh, you could be writing about Brexit out to retirement cliff. Uh, and <laughs> no a doubt, few years ago, yeah, Kieran. <laughs> and no doubt, no doubt we'll have you back uh, talking about that same topic on this podcast in the very near future. Uh, cliff Taylor, thank you for that. Uh, we're going to take a short break now when we return. I'll be talking to Barry Halloran about plans for an offshore wind farm off the Dublin Wicklow coast and Willie Walsh's plans to reduce the carbon footprint of his airline group IAG. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Uh, plans to build a €1.5 billion Euro wind farm off the east coast of Ireland have moved a step closer. German giant Energy and Irish player Sergus plan to build a wind farm off the coasts of Dublin and Wicklow. They say to be capable of generating enough electricity to power up to 600,000 homes. On Wednesday, Energy confirmed that it has applied for a foreshore licence to the Department of Planning to allow surveys of the site. And Barry Halloran of the Irish Times has covered this story. Barry, uh, you're very welcome. Just tell us a little bit about uh, where this is located and who exactly are the promoters of this scheme? Okay, uh, it is going to sit around 10 kilometres off the east coast. If you take point due east of uh, Booters Town and draw a straight line, as it were, down to a point due east, roughly due east of Greystones in County Wicklow, 
Uh, it's going to cover an area of around 25,500 hectares along there. It's the, the, the Bray and Kish Banks is what they're is 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 so what they're known. They'd be as. well known to anybody who lives around that area, or Certainly, anybody who's yeah. done sailing off the coast of Dublin and Wicklow. Well, if, if you're a sailor, if you're a fisherman, if you work in a shipping company, you'll be very familiar with this area. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah now it's obviously a very uh, wealthy part of uh, the country as well, and there have been plans uh, previously to uh, put oil rigs and so forth off the coast of Dublin, which haven't gone down too well. So. Um, applying for a foreshore license might uh, raise the hackles of some of the residents uh, along the coast there. It, it could potentially. I mean, um, but the one thing I would say is that a, a wind farm isn't a massively intrusive thing. Um, it's going to be a fair bit away from the shore. Sure, people objected to the presence of an of a, an exploratory oil rig. It's got to be said, this was one that was merely digging to see if there, there was oil there in the first place. This Wasn't, is off the coast of Dawkey. Yeah. And it was Providence Resources, which was uh, looking it's, at it a couple of years correct. ago. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, but that wouldn't have been a permanent installation. That would simply have come along and drilled holes to see wh- whether or not there was anything uh, underneath the rock down there. Um you know, offshore wind farms are now a very, very common sight uh, all over Europe and all over the United States. I know I was flying last week and crossing the Irish Sea just as you approached Merseyside. If you glanced out the window, the first thing you saw down below you, the first sign of landfall, as it were, um, was a, an array of wind turbines. These things have certainly become more common. The other thing is that this is very much national energy policy now. The government is looking at switching us from around 30% use of renewables to around 70% uh, renewable energy by 2030. In order to do that, you're going to have to put in renewable energy capacity. Wind is the obvious, cheapest um, type of technology that's available to us. And we live in a very windy country by all accounts. Um, So it is clear that we are going to have offshore wind farms. That is the area that we... We haven't exploited. Most other countries in Europe have. I think Britain may have in the order of two and a half thousand individual wind turbines sitting around its coast at this stage. Yeah, it's been quite places. controversial in Britain now. It must be said, and environmentalists mm. aren't terribly keen on them because obviously it, it disrupts marine life and it disrupts the flight paths of birds as well. Yeah, there. Yeah, there are a whole lot of questions that that really still have to be answered around this technology. There's no doubt about it. Um, I know that, for instance, Birdwatch Ireland is represented on a, on, on a government board that is looking at this whole area. One of the things that happened when they first began developing onshore wind farms was that the companies themselves um, financed the, the publication or the development of a, of a, of a map um, that specifically focused on bird life and the potential impact of wind farms on bird life around the country. I believe Birdwatch Ireland is hoping that the same thing can be done for the the offshore side of it. You you, you have that. You also have the issue then with in terms of potential impact on navigation lanes and all the rest of it. That is obviously very close to uh, Ireland's busiest shipping lane by you know some nautical miles. It's got to be said because uh, clearly a lot of material is shipped in and out of a lot of material and people are shipped in and out of Dublin Port every day, as we all know. And this is not too far away from the entrance to Dublin Port. Right, okay. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, Energy and Sergos. Who are they? Where did they come from? Okay, well, Sergos is a, is, a, um, is a homegrown company that's been involved in developing and planning wind farms for some time. In fact, this was uh, orig- this project was originally Sergos's project. They were one of a number of people who 
uh, set about developing in the Irish Sea oh, more than a decade ago, but those developments didn't go ahead because the market supports weren't available. Energy is a spin-off from uh, German utility um, RWE. It's a big developer right across Europe. They have, uh, they obviously have a presence in Germany. They have a presence in Scandinavia, the the Low Countries, and also, I believe, in Asia. Um, and uh, certainly, they're very enthusiastic about coming in here. They're going to be spending one and a half billion or something in that order. Right now, we already have some offshore uh, wind energy, don't we, in in Arklo? Yeah, but but a very very limited amount. Kiran and those those turbines were put in a long time ago. The turbines that are available now are are more advanced. They produce um, more electricity per per unit than what what is in in Arklo. And in fact, given that we're an island and given that we're a windy island, it's very surprising that we haven't developed offshore to any real extent at all. Yeah. Now, uh, your story says that this could generate enough electricity to power up to 600,000 homes. That's probably, give or take, half the number of homes in the country at present. It seems uh, it seems a, a rather large output, if you like, uh, considering the existing electricity generation capacity. So presumably it's more than homes that they're going to be powering. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a kind of slightly simple and slightly crude way of, of giving people a sense of the scale of this project. And I'm sure there are engineers involved in the, the, the industry out there who tear their hair out every time they see me write something like that. But it's just the simplest way of putting it. Um, actually, what's really luring these people in is the fact that we are going to be building or we are going to see multinationals building a lot of data centres, particularly in the Dublin area. And that is going to lead to a surge in electricity demand. Um, in fact, AirGrid, the, the national grid operator, thinks that by 2027, you will have uh, the extra demand on the system will be equivalent to what Dublin is now consuming. A lot of it will be on the back of these data centres. Um, so there is going to be huge demand for electricity at the same time. And, you know, in a somewhat contradictory manner, you've got to say the government is pushing for this increased load of renewables on the system as well at the same time. So you you have two things going on there. We need lots more renewable energy anyway, and we need, we need lots more electricity uh, because of the, 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 the new investment that's coming in. Therefore, these people are really drawn by both of those things. Okay, so what are the chances of them getting a foreshore license for this? And where does it go from there? Because that doesn't equate to planning permission as such. Does it? Yeah, no, and I, I think that is an important distinction, actually. Um, and I'm kind of glad you made it. This foreshore license is essentially, essentially allows them to survey the area. In fact, it allows them to survey a very large area around where they plan to build. It will take in things like the environment, bird life, navigation paths, the geology of the area, the the construction of the the, the, the sand on the, the, the sea bottom, a whole range of things that they have to take into account before they actually physically start building, before they decide on the final design of the project. And it's at that point then that we are really into a, a you know, a planning phase. Um, I would say that, yeah, they probably will get a foreshore license. I'd be surprised if they didn't because it will allow them, it, it allows them to do necessary work. Um, but the actual serious planning phase is a whole other ballgame. And as you pointed out yourself, there are a lot of constituencies out there who could have something to say about this. Yeah, now Barry, you mentioned you were on a, a plane last week uh, heading to the UK. You were actually on your way to uh, Toronto in the company of Willie Walsh 
and his airline group IAG, which of course owns Aer Lingus. And will he announce a number of initiatives uh, aimed at reducing its carbon footprint? Uh, very timely, given the whole climate change agenda that, that's going on at the moment and protests by extinction, rebellion and so forth. Just walk us through some of the measures that IAG is going to introduce. OK, the, the, the headline, if you like, is that they aim to be... Um, net carbon zero by 2050. That what does that mean? That doesn't mean that they won't be emitting greenhouse gas, but it means that they will A, cut greenhouse gas emissions as far as they can and B, take measures to offset the carbon that they continue to emit um, to, to effectively cancel it out. Um, offsetting is done by... It, it, offsetting is, is relatively controversial in, in this debate, I think, but it is done by, by people who pollute or emit greenhouse gas on the one hand, supporting or backing projects that reduce greenhouse gas elsewhere. Um, so building forests? It, for yeah, planting forests is something, developing solar, planting forests um, and planting forests in areas such as Brazil and uh, Asia, backing projects such as wind energy and particularly solar energy. These are amongst the things that that uh, IAG is planning to do to offset its, its carbon to, to offset its greenhouse gas emissions, rather. the One of the things that they will be doing is more or less immediately British Airways, which is one of the, the which is the largest airline in the group, um, that will offset all its greenhouse gas emissions uh, from its domestic flights. That's its services within the island of Britain now, not mm. outside of Britain. Now, so the relatively cynic me, Barry, amount. would say that they've been reducing the number of domestic services they're offering uh, within Britain. Uh, and it's really the long haul flights, uh, surely to America and Asia and uh, Australia and so forth, that are the real guzzlers of and the real emitters of uh, carbon. Yeah, and the, the long haul flights are the, the real emitters of carbon. But long haul flights are more necessary than anything else. If 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 you follow what I'm saying, because how, you know how else do you get from from Europe to the United States if you want to do business or anything else? Um, one of their, their 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 much longer term plan is to look at developing airline fuel out of waste, which they're 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 working in partnership with a company to do that, and also on reduction measures such as um, buying new fleets that will consume less, um, that that will consume less fuel. I mean, you you can be cynical about this, but I I think that, that there's a point worth making here is that you know that the climate debate seems to to shift from one thing to another all the time. And I think we forget that it, it really requires a lot of, you know, a series of cohesive measures. Aviation is, you know, the kind of latest whipping boy in all of this. Aviation actually produces around 2% of the entire greenhouse gas that, that we emit. Though. It's quite a lot. But uh, motorised transport produces far more. Uh, burning coal to produce electricity, something that we do, we still do in this country, produces far more. So it's... This is not to say that that aviation gets to abrogate its responsibility in any way, but it's one of these things on which people have seized very lately, um, though it's always been there. And certainly it should do its bit, but it's it's not the only industry by by a long chalk that people should have in their sights, I don't think. Yeah. Now, Willie Walsh is also talking about Airbus and the delivery of new aircraft to Aer Lingus, which is key to it being able to grow its transatlantic services um, and there, there, there's an issue there, isn't there? There is an issue there. There, there are slowdowns in. There, there's been a slowdown in production uh, on the production line in the Airbus factory in Hamburg. This has resulted in some craft which should have been arriving this year arriving at, at, at kind of stepped stages over later on this year and into next year. Uh, Walsh maintains that they have had to 
postpone the launch of, of two new routes um, between Dublin and the US. And they have also, they also postponed the launch of a Dublin-Montreal service, which was widely flagged at the end of 2018. But they had, that was due to take off in July of this year. I could be wrong about that, but it was around that time. And they had to postpone that because they, w- they didn't have the craft. The craft involved, incidentally, is the A321 long range. It is one of these far more fuel efficient craft um, that uh, IAG will be buying to bulk up the, the to increase the, the fleet of its various airlines. And it is also very much the linchpin of Aer Lingus's um, expansion plans on the Atlantic because it's a cheap aircraft to operate. It, it, it gives you a sort of it gives you long haul range at short haul costs, if you like. That's that's the simplest way to explain it. And Aer Lingus is very keen on this. It gives them a lot of flexibility and it gives them a lot of scope. Yeah, well, certainly for those of us who like going transatlantic, let's hope Aer Lingus uh, does get that aircraft in the near future. And um, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Laura Slattery, Cliff Taylor and Barry Allen. Jennifer Ryan and Declan Conlon were the producers with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.